0: We're in the middle of a series of messages I call the Dispensation of Grace. Let's all stand together as we look in Ephesians chapter 3. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me By the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And may God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 gives us three statements that are true of every believer because we are in Christ it is particularly identified as being such because we are in Christ and it comes to us by the gospel that's about as plain as it gets uses three compound words that are translated in the text fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Told you last week, I really intended when I approached this study to preach uh, all three of those in one message and I didn't get it. So last week I was thinking, well, I'll get one this week and get two next week. Well, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to look instead at this uh, great concept of what it means uh, to be one body or of the same body in Christ by the gospel. Now, When we think of being a joint heir, remember that was last week, we remember uh, all the things that are ours because we are in Christ and the magnificent heritage, all uh, of this promising us that God does not mete out his blessings to us in Christ like we're children on an allowance, but instead we have the unsearchable riches of Christ. And now today we're going to be looking at what it means to be of the same body in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, of the same body. Now the expression body of Christ is used in different ways in Scripture. There are times, as it does in this passage, when it speaks of the believer's union with Christ. And it is true of every single believer in Christ that we are one in Him. He is in us, we are in him, and we are then, as Paul says, we are of the same body in Christ by the gospel. Whenever the Bible uses the term body of Christ in that way where it emphasizes all believers, it always speaks of our union with Christ. That means that when we're saved, we're in Christ, we're in him, I'm in him, you're in him, we're all in him. And he is in in us, union with Christ. Now the other way that the Bible uses the term body of Christ is in reference to the local church and you'll see that very clearly in First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. No question about who he's talking about. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps administrations, varieties of tongues. Now you are the body of Christ. And here he speaks of that local church at Corinth as being Christ's body or the body of Christ. And he does so when he speaks of the local church in reference to being Christ's body. Christ is always pictured as the head. Uh, he is the one who is the brain. He is the one who is giving out the commands, the orders, who determines where we go, what we do. And then we as individual members of a church are all spoken of with our different functions, our different abilities, different things that we do, uh, but all uh, vitally then connected to one another and vitally connected to Jesus Christ as the head uh, so that we are all able then to function in a magnificent unity then exists in a church uh, as the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. I looked at John 17 and verse 20 last week, but I wanted to bring it up with you again today. Uh, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Does it make you happy this morning to know that Jesus Christ prayed for you Specifically, and me, down through the centuries. He looked across time, and he prayed not just for the disciples and his immediate audience, but he prayed for everybody who would believe because of their word, because of their preaching of the gospel and generations who would come after them. And therefore, you and I are included in this magnificent prayer. And what does he pray? That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus prayed that a unity would exist between all of his believers throughout all time. That a unity would exist that is comparable to the unity that exists between himself and the Father. So much so that he says, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. This unity is not spoken of as something we have to strive for to achieve. It is something that Jesus Christ purchased for us on Calvary. Because this is a, a positional unity. It expresses how that all believers are in Christ. Christ is in God and therefore an inseparable union exists between God and his people. And therefore there is a place where there is perfect oneness unity among God's people. When you look around in our world, though, even the most casual consideration of all believers, all Christians, uh, would show a whole lot of division. And the most obvious one of those would be denominational divisions. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, Assembly of God, Episcopalian, Church of God in Christ, I could take up all of my time just reciting the over 200 different recognized denominations in the United States alone. Hmm. Over the last few years, this whole concept of denominationalism has been looked at as a huge problem in some circles, and many have tried to counter that problem, the division that they see caused by denominations Uh, with the explosion of non-denominational churches. And quite frankly, they're everywhere, and I can't point in any direction around us right this morning that I wouldn't be pointing in the direction of one somewhere. Um, They're everywhere. These churches de-emphasize the traditional form of membership, in favor of belonging, uh, where you actually make a commitment to a church and you are a member there, Uh, their sense of belonging is based primarily on attendance. You come to that church and on giving. You financially support them, and and therefore this is uh, your church. This is a popular model, okay? I'm not trying to stomp on anybody's feet today or anything, not being ugly, I'm just being factual as I can. It's a very popular model. It allows for rapid growth, and it provides a place for families to go to church together even if they're from different religious backgrounds. And So it performs a very practical function for a lot of families. It fits them. But the Old Testament prophet Amos asked a very good question a long time ago in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. He asked, can two walk together except they be Agreed. In order to walk together, you're going to take a walk. Let's go for a walk. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to agree, Uh, uh, whether uh, we are Republicans or Democrats. Theoretically, you can walk together even though you have serious political differences. You can uh, be from uh, Texas or you can be from Arkansas, and you can still walk together. You don't have to agree on everything in order to walk together, but there are two things you have to agree on if you're gonna walk together. Number one, you gotta agree on where you're going, your destination. Obviously, if you're going to Los Angeles and I'm going to New York City, We can't walk together. And number two, we have to agree on how we're going to get there. If you're going to come to Faith Baptist, you say, well, I'm telling you right now, you've got to go down Kerr Road if you're going to get to Faith. Well, you can go that way. No, somebody else says, I'm going to go to Faith by Pine Street. Well, you can get that way too. Uh, But you've got to agree on how to get there, where you're going, how to get there, two things you have to agree on in order to walk together. Remember, I'm talking about, a little bit, the existence of denominations among God's people. How they got here. Uh, I want to tell you right up front, I did not create this massive mess. None of us did. uh, And all of this division among God's people. I didn't create it. But I have to deal with it, and so do you. And uh, I'm not going to criticize how other people try to deal with it. I'm just going to tell you how we deal with it. Because... You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, but you still have to answer the question. I'm talking about a church. A church can call itself whatever it wants to call itself, but you still, listen, have to deal with the issue, what must I do to be saved? You're gonna answer that question somehow. And the Bible gives a very, very clear understanding of what salvation is, how a person is saved, whether that salvation is a one-time thing, or whether you can be saved again and again, whether salvation is eternal, whether salvation is only good until the next time you sin. What I'm telling you is that denominations exist because we don't agree as Christians on the very fundamental issues relating to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't agree. That's why denominations exist. Now, I don't, I don't know how the non-denominational folks take care of that. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. Uh, but that's not, by any means, the only thing that divides us. Early on in history, an era developed that saw baptism as the means of receiving God's grace. Uh, that is, your, to put it simply, uh, this was an error that instead of saying, as the Bible does, that a person is baptized because they are saved, that you're baptized in order to be saved. Christians have been divided over this ever since. And quite frankly, we're not going to settle this division until we get to heaven. Now, I can tell you what I'll preach. I'll preach what the Bible says, that we are saved when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved, just as simple as it gets. Oh, but this whole thing of baptism came in, and it came in a long time ago. It was called a sacrament, and the reason it's called a sacrament is because it means it's sacrosanct. That is, it is effective for receiving grace or effective for salvation. Uh, Out of that, uh, if baptism saves, then by all means, get it done as early as possible. So over time, uh, they began to baptize infants. If baptism saves you, then by all means, let's baptize babies that was the thinking. It's not biblical. Don't find a single example of that in the scripture. Let me just tell you right up front, the Bible teaches believers baptism, not infant baptism. But it became a sticky issue uh, as soon as it began to start, and then it wasn't long before the practice of infant baptism. Theologically, that's referred to as pedobaptism. baptism uh, change the form or mode of baptism from immersion to sprinkling, although the Greek Orthodox Church and a few others still practice pedo-baptism, infant baptism by immersion. Some of them even dip them three times in water. Uh, salvation then, how to be saved, uh, what baptism means and what it doesn't mean, what it does for us, how to do it. Then the effects of salvation. Is salvation eternal? Or is it only as good uh, as your next sin? And then you have to be saved all over again. Then there's issues of spiritual gifts, and the list, quite frankly, goes on and on and on. How do you deal with this? Again, I want to say to you, I, I didn't create this mess, but we do have to deal with it. We have to make some decisions. And for me, we made that decision, Uh, by asking people who come from different churches with differing beliefs on the gospel uh, to join our church. And we ask everybody to make a membership commitment to actually join our church, where you commit to us and we together then commit to Jesus Christ. And we try to make this as easy as possible on people. It requires a decision. You come forward at the end of the service. Uh, we take care of the paperwork for you. If you're uh, transferring your letter from a member of like faith in order, we can deal with that. But if you're from a different church, different kind of church, that believes differently than we believe on the gospel, we're going to ask you to join by baptism. And the reason why that we do that is, is not to be ugly, we're not just trying to pad our statistics, although some people actually claim that. But we want you to know when you join our church that you're joining a church that believes differently than we do on the most fundamental issue of all. And that's the issue of salvation, how to be saved. If you're coming from a church that believes differently about how to be saved, then we're going to ask you to join by baptism. That's going to be a difficult Decision for a lot of people. I want to tell you right up front this morning. I I've said goodbye to a lot of people over the years when I told them that uh, they needed to join our church by baptism. I have, and I've deeply, deeply regretted, and lamented. It hurts me every time that I, pe- I see people say, I'm "Not going to do that. Just can't." I understand you may have to come here a long long time before you begin to see the differences that exist between uh, the way we preach and teach the Bible and what we believe the Bible says as a church family and what others believe and I understand that if you believe differently than us and I put you under the water when you come back up out of the water you very likely are still going to believe the same way you did before And so what I'm telling you is if you take some time making that decision and you study the Word of God and you listen to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, it might take you a year or two or three or ten before you decide, you know what? I grew up in that church and my mom and dad went there. They were good people. They loved Jesus, no doubt about it. But they were wrong on some things. And I need to turn for that. I believe this is where God wants me. And I'm ready to give assent uh, to this church and what it stands for by joining by baptism. It may take you a long time. Some of you may never get there. We're okay with that. You keep coming. I'll keep preaching to you. Just understand in the course of preaching the whole counsel of God, sometimes (laughs) I might get uh, on some little sticky things like I'm doing this morning. Because you see, Jesus prayed for the unity among God's people, that we all be one. But we look out over the world and we don't see that. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think we're ever going to see it. As far as this unity among God's people as a whole, until we all get to heaven. And when we all get to heaven, there's going to be one shepherd and one sheepfold and all of God's sheep are going to be in it because we'll all hear His voice. I believe that. The Bible says that we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I believe that. But down here on this earth, the place that God intends to emphasize and put on display this unity among God's people is not in Christianity as a whole. I want to show you this morning very clearly in this passage, and I hope you'll listen. I know this isn't a, 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 a dippity-doo-dah kind of a sermon. You know, hallelujah, shout in time kind of thing. I, I know this is a uh, little heavy stuff this morning. I understand. But I want to show you very clearly that the place where God intends for this unity to be on display, where he put it on display in this world, is in a local New Testament church, just like this one. And I want to show it to you very, very plainly uh, in this passage. Now, I understand a lot of people look at this disunity among God's people, and, and they've given up on church altogether. I know that. Uh More people are are choosing this option all the time. According to Wikipedia, about 62% of the population of the United States claims membership in a church. Uh, The largest body of Christians in the world, we can give ourselves a pat on the back today, is in the United States of America with over 240 million Christians in the United States. You don't find a whole lot of them in church on Sunday much. Many of them will tell you right quick, they tell me, I love Jesus, but I don't care nothing about the church. I'm done with church. Almost a century ago, a teaching gained popularity that says the church is universal and invisible. And that encouraged a lot of people then to content themselves with belonging to that universal church. And I readily concede that a lot of good people believe that there's a universal invisible church in this world today, but I want to say to you, I'm not among that number. I don't believe that way. And I want this to use this morning to address all these issues by considering what we see right here before us in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read this passage again. Unto me, verse 8, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right up front then, we'll notice that Paul again brings up the mystery, and we've already seen what the mystery was. The mystery was that God did not intend to keep the Jew and the Gentile separate, but they were going to become one new humanity in Christ, and the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians would enjoy equal blessings, equal benefits, equal participants, equal recipients of the unsearchable riches of Christ We'd be one in Him. That was a mystery. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. They didn't have a clue about it. But Paul says that now, now he wants to make all men see it, to see what he calls the fellowship of the mystery. That is, if we are, in fact, one in Christ, and we are, then there has to be somewhere where this unity can be seen, somewhere where Christians can be in fellowship and in harmony, somewhere where we can work together and serve together, somewhere where we can seek the will of Christ together and make decisions together and determine what it is that God wants us to do together, someplace where we can work together with other Christians for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, because, you see, fellowship, biblical, does not refer to a potluck although it doesn't exclude it either amen (laughs) fellowship biblically refers to people working together serving together with a common goal people then who are moving forward together walking together advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ it doesn't leave us to wonder where that someplace is. There's got to be some place. And in the plans and purposes of God, the place is the local church. There it is. <laughs> I can see it there. Y'all can see it up here. To the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. Now, I might be stating the obvious, but if all men can see it, then it has to be visible. (laughs) It's not invisible. Remember I told you uh, I reject the idea of a universal invisible church. If all men can see it, it's visible. And if it's a church, an invisible church, then it is a local church. That's where we gather together in the church around the truth of the gospel we express our commitment to christ and each other through the shared observances of the ordinance we've all been baptized in exactly the same way we gather together then as a church and we observe the lord's supper the same elements we remember the incredible price that was paid for our redemption we serve together We strive to learn and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ together. We are part of a church then as we are doing these things where God puts his unity on display. When we think about something on display, generally we're thinking about a trophy case. Or in my case, I'm I'm thinking about that that, uh, big piece of furniture that mom had in the living room. That contained that precious, precious china that we never, ever, ever ate off of. Never. Not sure. We call it a china cabinet. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Something pretty, something that you'd put on display, something you can be proud of. Churches are messy. We're messy because people are messy. A quick look at any church on this planet will show you that God, when He puts His manifold wisdom on display, when He is showing people the fellowship of the mystery, He does not do so by collecting a group of perfect, perfectly obedient people who are nice to each other all the time and who have it all together. Now, I know you look around at one another this morning and you say, you know, these folks all look pretty good. Yeah, but you weren't around when we were getting ready to look this good. <laughs> and if you were around the average family getting ready for church on Sunday, you would see some of the mess. You see it. We're messy. People are messy. Church isn't a display case for perfect, well-adjusted, happy, no-problems kind of people. Though we might look like it and act like it, we're not. The reality is far different. The church is a display case for the manifold wisdom of God because God brings people together who are so radically different. People who have different personalities and different personality types, and he puts us together radically different though we are. And he makes us into something beautiful where he displays the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is a display case for the operation of the grace of God. Because Christians mess up a lot. And God doesn't give up on us. And we don't give up on each other. At least we're not supposed to. God's grace and his mercy is displayed with a whole lot of people He's still working on. Some of you may be thinking, you know, well, I'd join a church, but I I can't. I I can't. Uh, We don't have it all together. (laughs) Hey, don't hold off any longer. (laughs) Let me put that idea to rest for you this morning. If you're worried about joining Faith Baptist because you don't have it all together, you'll fit in real well here. Because the preacher doesn't have it all together and every now and then I think I'm getting it all together and sin and God himself works to remind me that I'm not. About the time I get it and I think I've got it and it all goes flying. To... I want you to see this morning that this is according to God's eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus and that tells us that God's plan for us included the local church. We need the church and the church needs us. It's a part of God's plan for all of his people to join churches and to be a part of the fellowship of the mystery that he puts on display for a watching world. Some may have never made a membership commitment because you just don't feel like that uh, you've got it all together enough. I hope I've dispelled that. But other times it's a lot more complicated. You may be struggling with a baptism issue just like I've described. You might be puzzled to understand why we do this. I want you to remember 200 different denominations in the United States and non-denominational churches by the who knows how many. And all of them as individual as each one of them are. We have to deal with things the way they are. And as a church, uh, we have decided that... uh, The best way to do that is when we deal with people who come from other churches of different backgrounds. You were saved, baptized there. Uh, We ask you to join by baptism. Somebody might say, well, I just don't have time to join the church. And that's a nice way of saying that if I join the church, you folks are going to put me to work. And you're exactly right. Probably in the children's ministry that's going to be the first place that comes to you and asks you if if you think that being a part of a church is just attending please adjust your thinking the fellowship of the gospel the fellowship of the mystery means that we are working together for the advancement of the kingdom and we need to find a place where we can serve sometimes uh, somebody says well if I join you know y'all are going to expect me to attend regularly Yeah. Yeah. You may be struggling in some areas. With recurring sin or long-term sin. That's okay. We're struggling too. The only problem that we have as a church is... When people stop struggling and want to act like that sin isn't sin anymore and and we can't go along with you on that i hope you understand the distinction that i just made because it's very important you see as long as we're struggling against sin the bible has a uh, has a plan for that it's called repent we repent We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thank God he did not put a limit on that. I'll forgive you three times and then that's it. I'll forgive you seven times and then that's it. No. No. You see, as long as we're recognizing that we got a problem, that this problem we have really is not just a problem, it's a sin. And it's a recurring sin, maybe a besetting sin, as the Bible calls it. As long as you understand that it's a sin and you're trying to beat it, we'll do everything we can to help you. And we'll be as patient with you as we want everybody to be patient with us as we struggle through our bad habits. But when you want to just say, no, this isn't a sin. We can't go there. Because the Bible doesn't let us tear out parts that we don't like. The Bible doesn't change. And repentance is foundational to the Christian life. We preach that too. Yes, we do. So when Jesus describes for us uh, the... Work that Christianity does about the nature of Christianity, uh, about the nature of the the gospel. He tells us very plainly in these three things. We are fellow heirs and all we rejoice in that. And we are all members of the body. We're the same members of the body. That is that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians can be in Christ and we can all be in Christ. And there is a place where God has created perfect unity among His people and we're going to enjoy it in heaven forever. I don't believe there's going to be a Christian that stands before the Lord Jesus Christ someday that doesn't receive some correction. Can you go along with me on that? All of us are going to be corrected in some way. Uh, Even Baptists, even Baptists, yeah, yeah, even Baptists need correction. We sure do. We've messed up on some things. We've missed out on some things. We've left a lot of things undone that should have been done. We'll have a lot to answer for as everybody else does. There's going to come a time when God will wipe all tears from all eyes and all the crowns are going to be cast at His feet and we will enjoy His presence for eternity in perfect Unity. We don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be better than we can imagine. But for right now, we live in a messy world. And the place where God wants us to be in unity is in a place like this in his church. That means even on business meeting. (laughs) God wants us to be in unity. And if we're not, we need to pray till we are. That's a simple plan of how to take care of business. I could go on and on this morning, but 11 o'clock is here. I hope maybe I've answered some questions. But if I've created more, you look in that bulletin. My cell number's in there. My email address is in there. You give me a call, send me a text. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe this morning you're in this service you realize Jesus Christ died for your sins he was buried but he didn't stay buried he rose again the third day to give you the promise of eternal life if you'd believe on him you say I've never done that maybe it's time this morning for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit convicting you you know you need to be saved maybe you need to follow him in baptism you know what maybe God is leading you to be a part of this church and it's time for you to make that decision the Bill's going to come at this time and lead us in an invitational song. As we sing, this will be your time to respond. You come forward. Now, I'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. I'd love to be able to tell you we're so glad to have you as a member of Faith Baptist Church. I'd love to see you make that decision to follow the Lord in baptism. Oh, I'd love that. As we stand together, let's go to the Lord in prayer.